Welcome to Loving the Snow Life, the podcast where our snow resort obsessed mums talk everything snow. You'll learn stuff including ski school, is it worth it? How to get the best travel deals, what snow gear to buy, sustainability and much more. Some mums love the Kardashians. Our mums love ski documentaries. Between them, they've skied 84 snow resorts and they've dragged us to plenty of them. We're not complaining, we love it. Over to you, mums. We're here with international backcountry snowboarder Robin Van Jean. British Columbia should be truly proud. If you like snow sports movies, you've likely seen Robin snowboard skillfully down treacherous and rugged steeps in the movies Winterland or Far Out, or watched her in Natural Selection produced by Travis Rice. With her qualifications and skill set, it's no wonder Robin recently turned her hand to film producing. So we're excited to talk to her today. <laughs> so Robin, welcome. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's real that you're here with us. It's amazing. It's an amazing woman within the snowboard industry. It's thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate oh, it. Of course. Yeah, happy to do it. So I guess kind of our first question is we're kind of, we're interested in your outdoorsy upbringing because at the moment, you know, we're all stuck inside, but it's going to end. But tell us how you kind of evolved, what, what got you there out, outdoorsy to be the snowboarder before that, anything that you're doing outdoorsy in your upbringing, how was it? Yeah, I mean, the funny thing about it is I actually, I, I grew up on Vancouver Island, um, which it would kind of be like a Tasmania of yeah. um yeah of australia maybe but it's um hold it's on tell that to royalty. what's that <laughs> tell that to royalty they chose vancouver island <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah um i don't know the history of tasmania but it's a it's a really beautiful wild place in canada and it's like crazy biodiversity um mountains ocean rainforest um, lots of animals. So I kind of grew up in the thick of it. Um, I was raised in Victoria, BC, which is the capital. Um, but my parents had a sailboat. And so we actually spent the summers hiking uh, in the Carmana Valley, um, and up in Clayquot Sound. And then as well on our boat, most months of the summer, kind of touring and cruising around Vancouver Island. So I was exposed to solitude and real real close connection with the natural world kind of wherever i went um and i spent a lot of time like even living in a city we're so close to um it's not like it's not the same as like a new york or um maybe sydney where it's just forest everywhere um, so we were really, really close to the outdoors all the time, yeah, constantly. And we took annual trips to the mountains um, once a year for about two weeks, maybe twice sometimes. Um, but I didn't grow up in the mountains. I actually grew up on the ocean, um, but very exposed and really used to having time alone and quiet space with nature. So um, I think how that influenced me now is um, when I think about it in hindsight, in a really big way, it has a huge influence on 
what I do now trying to seek kind of like that space in the mountains or that space anywhere I go where I can really get close to the natural world. That's what's so nice about when we follow your Instagram and seeing how outdoorsy you are is so nice for Tanil and I because we're both raising our kids exactly like that. We're both camping families. You know, we love our skiing holidays and everything like that. And it's so important to us to also seeing you living like that is really great example for our, our kids, girls especially. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think there's, um, and there's, there's a really unique balance as well. Like I, I did live in a, you know, it wasn't really a city at the time. It was more of a town and now it's a city, but um, I was, my mom was very much interested in the arts and my father was very interested in the outdoors. So I had this really beautiful balance of music, art, culture, and the outdoors. Um, So it wasn't all one thing, you know, and I think that was uh, really integral to the way I turned out, the the things that I appreciate now, you know, I love going to the ballet or a live music show, or I really appreciate art and architecture. But at the same time, I really love to be alone in the mountains or on the ocean. So I wouldn't say that I'm like fully all the way off the grid, but um, I think there was a really good balance in the very beginning to kind of exposing me to different cultures and um you know the arts as well as the outdoors so yeah that's awesome I think that's really important too I love that and I we're both trying to gift that to our kids too aren't we Tanil like just move seamlessly between you know how much joy you get out of camping but also be able to put a dress on and look nice go to theater or something yeah totally so it was yeah. Mount, was so when you when you Tofino is that that's on Vancouver Island Tofino that's on Vancouver Island um, I live close to Tofino okay. now yeah. um, but I grew up in Victoria which is on the same island but further south and my whole family lives there and I'm there all the time so okay yeah and so what what age the- did you <laughs> what age did you realize you love snowboarding the technical stuff um. You know, I think before we call it snowboarding, it was just snow. Um, we went to the mountains and really in Victoria, we had two days a year where it snowed and it stuck. <laughs> so there was, there was only two days for you to make snowballs, wow. you know, and it was, it was almost like this beautiful uh, anomaly of a day. And you always knew it was coming, but you never knew when and you got the day off school and then you just went outside. It was like, you were outside all day. You dress for the weather, you put your snow stuff on, and then you're just out. And you're enjoying this thing that you never get. And I remember just being like, it didn't feel like time was passing. You know, I was just outside, like in it, building snowballs, snowmen, like finding things to ski down and, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, and then like the next thing you know, it was gone. And it felt like this really special thing for me it was like it wasn't like I had it all the time and I just remember being so enamored with it and I don't know why I don't think it was like a a learned thing it was just like a very innate innate like love for this snow 
And <laughs> um, so that was at a very young age. And we did go skiing uh, quite a bit when I was young. And I remember just absolutely loving it. You know, like the trees are covered and the roads are covered. And in British Columbia, we get really powerful and deep winters. So, and the, the in-between isn't my favorite. You know, it's either like, it's all or nothing. You know, it's either like total, totally, completely covered in pal or like, let's go somewhere hot. So. No spring skiing for you. You know, yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> but the, the, the problem with spring skiing for me is I'm down in the town and I'm like, okay, it's pretty warm. It's kind of that like shouldery season. Yeah. And it's hard to imagine what the mountains are like. But then you get up there and you're like, oh, it's, it's pow. It's so good. <laughs> hey, that's true. Um, that's yeah. yeah. So I had like yeah. a really deep appreciation for snow at a young age. But my time at that time when I was fairly young, like before I was a teenager, I spent so much time in dance classes that I really wasn't quite hooked yet in the sports side of it. Um, mostly because I lived somewhere where there wasn't snow. Um, but in my teens is when snowboarding kind of made its appearance and we started getting snowboarding mags and we started seeing, um, racers and half pipes. And, you know, it was kind of like right in that time where I started to kind of look at that. And it was, I knew I wanted to be a snowboarder before I had even gone snowboarding. That's you know, really interesting because so often with parents, you sort of think if you're not doing something by four or five, you're not going to be this big champion. And the fact that, you know, you picked it up when you were a teenager, that's mm-hmm. it's great. There's hope for yeah, it. Yeah, I actually picked it up when I was 16. 16. That's awesome. 16 years old. Yeah. So, I mean, I hadn't even, I had, I got on a snowboard once when they first came out. Yeah. And I remember I, it, well, one, I didn't have the right gear. It belonged to an older uh, family friend. Um, you know, we, our families would travel together to go skiing. And my best friend's older brother had a snowboard and I tried it. And it was so huge. Like the boots didn't fit. The bind, I was just swimming in it. So I had no control. Yeah. So I just sat on it like a toboggan and went down the hill and didn't touch it again until, you know, six years later. <laughs> so... Yeah, I remember but, having that first time snowboarding with me. I had, I, I just, I loved it because I, the, I thought I was going to get this flow. And I remember being in equipment too big. And my feet kept coming out of the bindings. Yeah, and I was so cranky. I was like, no, nah, this is not for me. Get it away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's funny, hey. It's funny how. Yeah. The I think that's like back. anything. It, you gotta have the right gear. Mm. Yeah. You know, and like, like you can definitely find entry level for anything, but having something fit really changes your experience and I think even now when people are like oh what board do I get I'm always like don't settle for anything but the perfect fit because your performance will suffer you won't have a good time I want you to have a good time so go on this specific thing make sure it fits you know that kind of thing so and I do think that's the case a lot of the time when people start sports is they do it once with the wrong gear and they're like, oh, it sucked and they never do it again. Um, but it's really about like putting in those initial couple days and having the right gear. So, so when you were doing the camps, was that a lot of your talk? Was it about getting the right gear, getting them all sorted on that when you were at, down in Argentina and in Whistler? Yeah. And, yeah. yeah, it was basically just that intro 
intro to snowboarding. I mean, usually when, when you get a group at camp, it, the first thing you do is look at all their gear and you're like, okay, this is not going to work. You're never going to do a 360 on a board this big, or you're going to have a really hard time with not having gloves or, you know, this, this beacon is too old. We can't use it. You know, it's just kind of that, that kind of stuff or, you know, when stuff's too big or too small, it really like hinders your experience. So that's always the first thing that I go after um, with whether it's freestyle or just backcountry travel. That's the number one thing is your gear. Hmm. It's so true. It's so true. Cause it does, it makes and breaks everything that you do. How many boards do you currently own? Do you think? um currently i probably i'd say 20 nice nice i get rid of a lot of stuff i give away a lot of stuff um i just i have some boards that um i've designed over the years and i always keep my own like my own boards that I've designed or worked with artists on. So, and some of them are like signed by like Jamie Lynn or, you know, whoever. Yeah. So I do have some collectors uh, boards nice. on top of my own quiver, which is necessary. You know, I, it's just like surfing in that sense. Um, yeah. The right, uh, the right board for the right uh, conditions. So um, if you want to ride super fast on something really steep, um, you definitely want something stiffer. Um, but you know, if you want to make quick turns or get freestyly, you want to have a bit of play. So, you know, it's, it's just like everything else. Yeah. Um, and I want to go back to that gear thing. Cause I don't want people to get the wrong idea that if you buy all the right gear and spend a ton of money, everything's going to be great. That's not it. You can get tons of stuff for second hand or that's not perfect it just has to be the right fit mm. we have yeah. a saying we have a saying in australia it's like all the gear no idea yeah <laughs> i was just thinking of that the other day when we were fishing we were saying all the gear and no idea as we caught no fish yeah 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 that's part of it i i see that quite a bit um especially in backcountry you like it's just like you go uh touring in the backcountry and there's people with humongous bags and they've got like all the little gadgets and you're like you don't need any of that you know mm-hmm. and you don't need all the top of the line stuff you just need stuff that works yeah no it's so true yeah we i did a um I'm going to skip ahead to a couple of questions here Emma but anyway we yeah. did a, i did an avalanche course this year just an abby one and Good for you. Yeah, it, yeah. In his advice, <laughs> but it was in, it was in BC in some cases, and God, it changed my mind. I was I was like, wow, I am lucky to be alive. Like, yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was real eye opening. It was great. It was great. It's so sobering, isn't it? Very sobering. Um, but I guess that's a big part of where you're at now with your Abbey courses and your training and mm-hmm. you know, what what yeah. you now. Um. Well, I have. Uh, a different kind of level so in the Canadian system there's recreation and professional so um, most people when they're trying to get into the backcountry or intro they'll take an AST1 which is definitely the ignorance is bliss course (laughs) (laughs) where you're like oh my god what have I been doing this whole time yeah Um, that's awesome (laughs) 
Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, level two, like if you do your AST one and then you do your AST two, that's more root finding. So it, it's like the basics and then how to travel. Um, I'm in a m- more professional realm. Um, so I have what's called operations yep. uh, level certification. So we do um, a 10 day course um, on snow science, uh, data collection, that kind of stuff. And then um, I just completed this year my level two, which is, so operations two. Um, And that took me three years and that is advanced search and rescue, um, weather, um, like I think there's a theory course um, and then there's deeper into data and then there is the uh, field exam, which is your module three. So yeah. there's three, there's three prerequisites and three um, courses all together. And the final course is integrated in with, in with it and exam. So I'm, but that's because I'm becoming, I'm trying to become a mountain guide. So yeah, okay. yeah it's, it's a bit different than like, like your recreational uh, path. Like Unfortunately, they don't stack vertically. They're like completely two different strains, but um, AST1 is a great place to start. And I've just gone a different way because I'm interested. It's quite I scientific. mean, even if it's, sorry, go ahead. If you go your operations way, it's very scientific, I find, about reading the snow and reading the weather. Mm. And it's like, it's, it's my do brain. You, do you like all the sciencey stuff? Because I found I liked the avalanche stuff in general, but then when it got sciencey, my mind drifted off a bit. Yeah, I think like anything, um, if you put enough time into it, it becomes enjoyable. Um, At first, I mean, I kind of had a leg up because I have a geography degree from the University of Calgary and I I did a geophysics course um, and I've done a hydrology course and I did a weather course. So I kind of had a little bit of that science background Mm. um, ahead of time. And I'm like you, like I don't love the science that much but once you start you know studying it and kind of like forcing yourself to get through it and then you start understanding it and then it becomes interesting Hmm. so it's kind of like you know running a marathon where you're like running yeah 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 and you hit the wall and you're like ugh. Hmm. but then if you power through it you know (laughs) you have like amazing aha moment at the finish line so yeah um yes a lot of the avalanche um curriculum is extremely dry like brutal brutally dry but um I have just learned to kind of appreciate it for the challenge that it is yeah true true I looked at mountains completely different like Mm, yeah it was so amazing like I mean I did a two-day course not a five you know how many hours have you put into your courses now for doing oh god I don't even want to go there yeah, it's like, <laughs> I don't know, countless. Yeah, because <laughs> a lot of the courses they they require you to have a certain amount of hours in the field mm-hmm. with an operation. So um, I had to do ninety hours underneath um, an ACMG or a professional member. I won't get into that, but yeah. underneath a mentor to yeah. uh, practice um, the routines of guiding before I could even apply to the level two. So there's a lot of that. 
They want you to go out in the field, get experience, and very much so that it's a, a experience based uh, career path. So mm. um, it's a, there's a lot of time in the mountains and logging of your yeah. logging of your time, like where you went, how you got there, what the conditions were like, what was your you know all of that kind of stuff. The to build um, what we call like a profile, like, you know, to build like a, a guidebook with, yeah. uh, it's basically your insurance program. Hmm. You can show people like what you've learned, where you went. And it's all it's written like. in uh, pencil. Yeah. <laughs> that, is that the thing? Like, sorry, showing my basic oh, knowledge. It's all written in pencil. No. <laughs> I did a uh, interesting uh, trip up the chairlift this year with a guy uh, at Revy, a Revelstoke, and yeah. he was the guy that controlled all of roger's class so mm -hmm. he he was the guy that said okay army it's time to come in and bomb this and he was the one that did all the it was really mm -hmm. interesting to ride a chairlift with him but yeah it was, it was yeah fun. it is cool it's yeah. amazing um when we look at your movies the movie clips and they're all available on the internet little clips and things and you mm -hmm. seeing you on a vertical yeah. face and all of that avalanche training must come in so handy. Like I know you're wearing a pack on your back and tell yep. us a bit more about, you know, I mean, young people, they see something like that and they think they can replicate it, but really like there's a whole team around you, right? You know, oh, yeah. so well research. tell us a bit about that. Well, I mean, to kind of put it in perspective, um, what you see in movies or clips online of, heavier lines at the very least like lines and for most of the time also freestyle clips a lot of things have to come together for that moment to happen and um in not intuitive i want to say intu intuition plays a big part in it but also it's that experience that you've gained over the years to be able to identify when that precious moment will happen um you're waiting for weather yeah. you're waiting for stability in the snow you're waiting for the right line and the wind and the sun and your filmers got to be on it and your gopro's got to be on and you have to be on it it's like it's just not that easy you mm. know and i i think that it for backcountry in particular i don't feel like mainstream audiences really understand that um, that there's a really high level of risk and this isn't something that happens every day. Like, um, last year I had two days, literally two days of good, stable, uh, weather in Alaska. Wow. And you know, you get one line. Great. Uh, let's try and get another one, you know, and you fall on that one. So it's like when you only have two days to really nail it, <laughs> You know, your window is really small and you have to have um, no pressure no pressure to nail it <laughs> far out yeah yeah <laughs> how many crew how many film crew people are there like if you panned back how many little figures would there be everywhere um it really depends on the level of production it can be anywhere from you know 10 to four four to ten yeah Wow. It really depends, you know, if you're working, like, for instance, on depth perception, we had um, a photographer, uh, two Barbie angle filmers, and then sometimes a helicopter. 
So right there, that's three different mechanisms for filming plus a GoPro angle. So right there, that's four media. Yeah. Um, and that's actually pretty typical for larger productions is about four, four to five media um, on slope and then your crew and then your guides. So with a group that big, you'd need at least two guides. Um, and then with a smaller crew, like if we just go out in Whistler, most of the time it's our snowboard crew and two media and that's it. Um, and we don't have guides all the time. Um, when it's like somewhere familiar or that we know and we kind of were able and as professionals, we've done a bit of training and experience to be able to go out and be confident on slopes um, for that moment to happen. So it, it just really depends. Hmm. And um, tell us about Travis Wright's, uh, sorry, Travis Rice's um, natural selection. Um, we were reading up about that he gathered 10, 10 of the best, and you were one of four women. That's yeah. amazing. And your partner, Austin? Yeah. How incredible yeah. was that whole experience? Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, it was cool. Um, I think it's the evolution of snowboarding. Um, we have like the freestyle realm in the Olympics and that there's an evolution there as well, um, with the freestyle and it's kind of going a bit more towards the style portion than it is towards like super technical, how many spins can you do? Um, but that's another whole thing. Um, but in backcountry, I think we're trying to kind of bridge the gap between, uh, the free ride world tour and the freestyle realm and really bring what you see in videos to a live audience. So, yeah. and this is where you're going to see the reality of filming in the back entry because at, maybe as you saw in the natural or sorry, the supernatural and the ultra natural is there's a lot of bales. It's not a land every time. Mm -hmm. And it's a huge challenge to get through this course alone like without even doing tricks and then add on a freestyle oh. element. It'll how, be, how many runs will you get at the course? How many runs, you, how many runs will you get at the course every time? Like it, will you get? Uh, probably, I want to say two, but maybe more depending on the format. The format for the natural selection hasn't really been solidified quite yet. Um, I know that Travis and his team are working really hard with all of us to develop the best possible um, format for, um, for the tour so that we do have success. Um, so, yeah, I think he's just, he's working on it behind the scenes and it's a really exciting thing. I'm really excited to have both of these worlds kind of come together, freestyle and backcountry and um, see a whole range of riders. Like we're gonna have people who have competed in X Games and people who have never competed yeah. um, come together for almost like this really cool collaboration on the mountain. Yeah. So it'll be really cool. I think we're gonna see a lot of progression in the, especially for the women. Mm. Um, like the guys have had this opportunity before to do the ultra natural, the supernatural. There, there have been contests for them. For us, we've never had anything like this. And we're all really, really nervous and excited to 
uh, progress the sport. Yeah. You have to, you, it's really going to attract a lot of gutsy girls, won't it? Like, yeah. No princesses. Does it come kind of into your home? Like, you know, if you're cooking or you're in the traffic or something, like if you Austin have like a difference of opinion, do you like, well, you took three stacks on that one. <laughs> come, um, come back to bite you. <laughs> yeah. I think the thing that's really annoying about dating another snowboarder is that all we talk about is snowboarding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's it's great um we we definitely have just uh a, you know we disagree about snowboarding and you know style points i don't know um but it is funny we we constantly talk about snowboarding we have to like consciously say like hey let's talk about something else like politics yeah. or art music um well, austin's really snowboarding, so there's that <laughs> But in the winter, it's just, it's like two frothy people living together. And all we want to talk about is the tricks and the grab and like, what are we going to do tomorrow? Oh, that's sick. Oh, that, you know. <laughs> Amazingly, you're both really good surfers too. I yeah. wouldn't say good. <laughs> I would say um, good. <laughs> I, I'm good enough to like catch a, catch a few waves for sure. I love it. I find surfing one of the biggest challenges of my life. Yes. Yeah. Because the water's moving. Because the water's moving and the mountain isn't. Like, yeah. Yeah. Imagine using your lower body for your entire life. And then, and you know, your upper body, like a little, but like, you know. And then all of a sudden you're like, whoa, paddling. This is like really hard. And then duck diving, like the full on strength to get the board. I just learned to duck dive like last year and I've been surfing for almost 10 years. Oh, really? you know, like, I'm like, is this, like, I thought I was duck diving before. And then I had this moment I was in, uh, God, where was I? I think I was, um, Oh, somewhere tropical. It could have been, it could have been before last year. It could have been before. I think I was in Mexico and I just, I, I like felt the board go under and like scoop me. And I was like, Whoa! What the hell was that? <laughs> I've done it. I got the feeling. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, weird." I've been complaining about. To, I've been complaining to Roxy about like I need to get a tie on the bathing suit bottoms because they just come off. But I think what it is is if you can duck dive properly, you don't need the tie. <laughs> That's true. That's true. There might have been a bit of silence between the design team as they're like, maybe she just needs to let a duck dive. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think that they were like, Robin, yeah, maybe try the one piece suit for a while, and then. <laughs> <laughs> but I do love the one piece suit. Those like long, like the long sleeve bathing suit. Yeah, my oh, God. I, love those. My I, God. I was I was saying that to Tanil the other day that it's all about the um up the bum up the bum look at the moment, isn't it? That's the normal. Is it? Aussies, yeah. yeah. Well I don't know. I I really love the like retro board shorts, Lisa Anderson look. Yeah. Personally. Me yeah. too. Not a G not a G string in sight or a Brazilian. Ew. And there's there's <laughs> nothing wrong with it. If people want to wear that. That's great, but I feel like when I'm in the water, if my if I'm wearing something that's like up my butt, I feel vulnerable. Yes, one from Don't the sun. Stand up. Two, I 
I don't know. I, it just, I don't feel comfortable. So mm -hmm. I would rather wear like something with a slightly bit more coverage. Mm -hmm. I'm also like very white, you know? So, well, yeah. so there's that. <laughs> I actually love, I love the surf leggings. I wear a lot of the like sup pants that Roxy makes. Oh yeah. And they have a tie and I wear those constantly surfing. I love them. Mm. Yeah. What a great brand to be involved with, Roxy, like for skiing and surfing. Like they're, they're yes. making really amazing stuff for both. They make amazing stuff. And I think that uh, sometimes um, people are like, oh, Roxy makes outerwear? Is it good? I'm like, yeah, it's Gore-Tex. Yeah. Like this is like top of the line outerwear we're rocking here you know like their stuff is actually really great and um, and their stuff to wear all the time weekend wear going out mm -hmm. wear it's i was like so how like oh, stupid like more kind of obvious question but a sponsorship for you <clears throat> well it, i had kind of a funny beginning with them um i was a super young snowboarder in university and i was trying to get sponsored at you know 22 uh 21ish 21 was a good year for me and uh one of the local shops put me in touch with the rep and the rep gave me some gear and as i um was winning contests i would hit them up and be like hey like i'm winning contests like what happens next <laughs> you know and nothing really came of it and i had another company uh come to me and ask if I would ride for them. It was um, at the time Section and Tech Nine, which was a more like a street uh, urban snowboarder company, but um, I was actually riding street and urban at the time. So I ended up um, ditching the Roxy gear flow and going to this other company. And, and then I went, from there, I gained more traction and I went to another company. Um, and then um, I actually got recruited back uh, to Roxy. So nice. they were looking for somebody, um, I guess, and I fit the um, description. It's, I mean, a Roxy girl would have to be an all-rounder, right? You know, surfing, skiing, snowboarding, just an old girl? No, no, no. I, I didn't surf back then. Mm. All I did was snowboard. And I think that um, that's another thing that I think is really important for anyone who wants to be good at their sport. Um, being all round is great, but it takes absolute dedication to one thing. And you have to have so much focus on that one thing mm. and you got to stick with it for a really long time. Mm. Like I only started surfing after I had already been sponsored for almost, I don't know, six, six or seven years, mm. you know? So, I mean, surfing more, Yeah. Um, but I didn't have time. I didn't have time or money to think about other sports. This, I just had very like, I had a very focused idea of where I wanted to go and I was very fired up. I was motivated, driven to make my dream happen and like nothing else mattered. I put myself out there like you could never believe. Like I took out student loans while I was in university so I could go compete. 
Mm. So I could travel to Mammoth to go to Miss Superpark. So I could go film on this trip. You know, I really kind of any and all opportunities went into one thing. And I think that when people are like, yeah, I surf like all the time or like I snowboard sometimes but in the summer, I go do something else, you know, and I'm like, yeah, that's great. But like, it'll be hard, harder for you than anybody else. Mm. You have to be so in it. So did Argentina play a big part of that because you could do both years? You could do both seasons. Mm. So you were like, okay, how yeah. do I get to do this? It was basically like, how can I snowboard more? I was yeah. like, okay. Okay. So the summer thing really isn't working out for me because I want to be snowboarding. <laughs> so, and I didn't want to be glacier snowboarding. I kind of had um, an inkling that I wanted to get in the backcountry, And I thought that going to Chile and Argentina, just to have that experience. And um, I got an opportunity with a friend of mine, uh, Carolina Clues, who I'm still really good friends with, but she was like, let's just, let's just save up some money and go to Chile and see what happens. And I was like, okay, cool. We're doing it. So worked, you know, I think three jobs to save, to go on this trip. And that was the first trip of 12 summers that I spent down there. Mm. Um, a long time, isn't it? Yeah. That's yeah. 24 seasons back to back. It's like, it's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and do you lot. know the other thing that I love about that? so many elements there the the passion of when you want something so badly where it gets you and i love that yeah. but also i love the fact that you know and i did read some an interview that you did where you said that it takes a lot of financial sacrifice mm -hmm. and absolutely go for it yeah i mean you're always kind of it the, you it's like no risk no reward is a real thing but different kinds of risk you know, like, for instance, when I was filming um, in Whistler and I, I felt like I gained enough experience here and I really took a moment and said, like, OK, what where do I want to go with my snowboarding? And I always wanted to be like Victoria Jealous. That was like if I could ride big lines like her in Alaska, that I would roll over and die. Like that, That's my dream. And I remember. Um, looking at my you know travel budget that I had and you know you have some deliverables to your sponsors so you can't exactly just like go do whatever you want with your travel budget you have to use it wisely and budget yourself through the season for the best opportunities say yes to as much as you can within your budget and then um, I was given an opportunity to go to Alaska and I didn't have any money and I that but that to me that was like the holy grail I was like I gotta go this is what I want to do and I spent like close to seven thousand dollars of my own money and I just said like and seven thousand dollars was so much money like mm -hmm. I, I was maxed out credit cards to go there you know I didn't even have it all I know is this is my path and I'm gonna go there and I really hope that it works out. And literally, it's like not having that plan B and putting yourself out there like financially to really go after what you want. And it might not be financially. It might be something else. But for me, I needed to spend the money because mm. if I wanted to ride Alaska, I had to start somewhere. Yeah. I had to go. You Just go. Yeah. Just get there somehow. And then from there, you know, figure it out. 
but if you have never been, then how do you know how to figure it out? Right. So it's kind of like, take that first step, do the work yourself. Yeah. And from there you can, you know, kind of get that support. And so I went the first year, spent the money that I didn't have. <laughs> um, got like, <laughs> a, I, think I got like two clips. That's it. Two clips. Mm-hmm. But in getting that, like one clip that showed that I was like, could hang out. It was easier the next year to be like, Hey, I really want to go back and, you know, find the right crew members and then from there on out it was a little bit easier it always gets easier yeah so um who is your girl gang that you love to go with my kids are gonna kill me i mean (laughs) i have a pretty awesome girl gang yeah i like to um i mean leanne pelosi's been like my partner in crime for a long time we filmed together for so long um i love elena height so much. I think she's going to be the next hottest thing in backcountry snowboarding. She is so good at riding lines. It's crazy. Um, Marie Francois, I love riding with. Hannah Beeman, her and I have done tons of projects together. And we, whenever we're together, it's like just, there's something about the partnership that's so good. Um, Annie Boulanger has been a longtime mentor um, and just a really awesome person to follow in snowboarding. Uh, Jamie Anderson obviously is just like the queen of snowboarding. So I love snowboarding with her when I get the chance. Um, God, I know I'm missing people. Like, don't worry. (laughs) No, I'm sure they're, yeah. How often do you get to ride with them? It's just if you've got a project together or do you ever do a free run together at a mountain? Do you ever ski? Oh yeah, all the time. (laughs) We snowboard together all the time as friends. Oh wow, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. What's your favorite inbound mountain? What's my favorite? inbound like a real mountain like you have to go up a lift and you have to come down like you can't um it's hard because i have like nostalgia around whistler blackcomb because it's kind of like where i learned to snowboard and um but i really love mount baker oh mount baker washington mount baker is amazing amazing little resort um and austin's got a cabin there Hmm. we go there quite a bit but yeah. Revelstoke also is so good. <laughs> I love Revelstoke and Whitewater and Nelson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I well, let's just call it British Columbia. <laughs> I do, I do a, um like a ski tour company to Canada, so it's kind of cool. Oh, you do? Yeah, cool. yeah, yeah, and and Whitewater and feet and Revy and Kicking Horse. I like Kicking Horse. So, did you hold yeah. for a while? Did you... Um, I did I read that. Yeah, I lived in Golden for a while. I didn't love it. <laughs> you didn't? I, didn't I, I really didn't like the mountain. Oh, because oh, it's just interesting. I'd love to hear why. I mean, I don't know. Golden can be really good. Kicking Horse can be amazing. And I, I don't want to, like, knock on Kicking Horse because for some people, it's just great. For me, it gets tracked too fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, there's like fewer places to hide when there's big open terrain. Yeah. When you have like roly poly mountains, lots of tree runs, lots of like, you know, little couloirs over here or this little like valley over there, it's really easy to have stashes. True. But when the mountain's just like there and a big open mountain, it's uh. 
I'm pretty accessible. There, you can see it all. No mystery. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. That's true, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what do you yeah. think about free ride? Is that why, like, free ride comp is always there kind of in January? Is it January that they do? Uh, yeah. Yeah, they do. Yeah. yeah, it's all up on I can't um, remember the name of it, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, they scored there. They Like, the free ride world tour absolutely scored conditions there. Yeah. Because um, it can be pretty rocky. Yeah. Have you been on I'm the really, did you go on the free ride world tour? Nope, I've never done. I've been invited as a uh, wild card, but I couldn't make it. <sighs> Damn. So <laughs> I, um, but I've been in contact with them a little bit here and there, and I would definitely entertain it. It's not something I, it's not something that's part of my like dream. Yeah. Okay. You know, but I think it's an interesting concept and I think it'd be fun. I did, um, my first real free ride contest this year actually yeah um uh it was called uh cold smoke festival yeah in nelson bc and they did a huge free ride comp for the first time and i did that and that was awesome i i won the contest yes well done great <laughs> i didn't think i was gonna win i was kind of like uh i don't know how you know when you look at a face and everybody's choosing like these gnarly lines and I was like that's not what I'm into I'm not into writing something sketchy I would rather do something with really good flow and like ease and make it feel good I just I don't know maybe I'm just like a feel-good snowboarder it's weird but no, it's um, I love that I love that I love yeah. watching that I love watching that more than those guys talking off and you're just like oh they're not gonna land it like, oh yeah, I was just so scared watching. I was like, oh my God, ah, oh my God. And, and then, uh, but I got to go like almost, I think I was like fourth or fifth. And honestly, I didn't hit any cliffs at the top of the course. I just, I saw this beautiful like wind lip and it was all like sunlit and gorgeous and spotlighted. And I just like took some speed and did a huge slash on it yeah. instead of like hitting a cliff. And then I just like made really nice flowy turns down the course. And then there was this like cliff in the trees. It was like a big pillow. And I just kind of aired off of that and then aired off another one. And it was just stuff that looked fun to me. Yeah. And I, I didn't, I don't think that's what free ride contests are about. But here's the thing. If everybody else chooses a really gnarly line and they don't land, well, that, Really yeah. flowing line that you took. <laughs> <laughs> so you just gotta hope no one else lands it. <laughs> no, <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. And I love I how you're really true to yourself about it. You know, you're you're just doing what the thing that you like, even about that. You know, that's really yeah, cool. You kind of have to fall. Like for me, everything that I've been successful at in snowboarding has been because I've really just done what feels good mm. and like yeah. really really focused on like what I want to do specifically mm. like you know they tell you like ask the universe for whatever be specific mm, you know yeah. <laughs> yeah. like I, I I I this sounds really weird but I definitely dreamt about um being in a Travis Rice movie and I like literally would go to bed and tuck myself in and just dream about it yeah. every night specific I was ah. like, well I want yeah, and That's, then it just happened, and I was like, that is weird, and I am now a believer, so. <laughs> now, you know what? Tanil and I both really want a heli 
skiing company <laughs> to invite us <laughs> on their trip for the podcast. I'm putting it <laughs> out there. I'm free. I'm Go free. to bed every night. I visualize <laughs> it. It's on my. Yeah. I it's too oh, hard. I love it. It's too hard, right? It's like go to bed and think about it as much as you possibly can, but also walk towards that and make yeah. the effort. Good point. Good point. Yeah. I, I think yeah. I forget where I read that. That was it was really powerful. They had something to say about, you know, manifesting your dreams. And it sounds so like contrived and cliche at this point, even though it's true. No, um, I don't think it's contrived and cliche whatsoever. I think it's okay. amazing how often we create what we want, you know, every time we step towards something. It's like, yeah, you can't just like, think it's about amazing. it. You know, you can't just no. be like, okay, I want to, you know, I want to do a 360. Like, for instance, I want to do a 360. You think about, you visualize yourself doing it. But then you actually have to go up and fall like a thousand times mm -hmm. first. Like you have to do the work. Yeah, exactly. it's two parts. Yeah, and failing really like is part of it. Isn't it? Failing's yeah. part of it, right? I mean, oh, huge. Failure is what makes you who you are. That's like the experience you need. You need to fail to figure out how to fix it and get better at it. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm dreaming of the pillow jumping scene in High Octane, actually. <laughs> Yeah, good. <laughs> you know where they just kept going and going. I'm like, oh, that was incredible. You're, yeah, I couldn't see your hair in that. I didn't know if you were in doing that or it was just Austin. Um, I don't know. I'm in like one or two of them, but not in that one specifically in high octane. Okay, yeah. yeah. And yeah. you, you I did that line after, but not the same. I can't. You know, that guy's got like a Which different suspension system than I do. <laughs> It was amazing. I don't even know how they did it for that long, and uh, I've done. Like, which yeah. uh, which movie did you win the award for? Um, I won two. I won two uh, awards for two movies. So I won video part of the year for Full Moon, and uh, number two writer of the year for Full Moon, and then I won uh, video part of the year for Depth Perception. And then, yeah, that's it. So how important are those awards to you and to your future in movies? Like, is that At the time, like the Oscars? <laughs> that, was, that was another one of those go to bed and think about you on stage with your Trans World Award. They were like, it was like the pinnacle of your career. If you had, like for me, when people like went up on stage and accepted that like peer voted on award in snowboarding. Yeah. Like that was like the moment. Mm. And that was part of, you know, as we evolve and we like set goals, you know, one goal was like, oh, get sponsored by Roxy. Next goal, like, oh, I wanna go film a video part. Oh, I wanna go film the best video part, you know? So um it was one of those where I I really wanted to win that. I mean it sounds weird that like winning is part of it. Mm. but no. I think it was a necessary goal for me and um I knew that with full moon I was kind of in a weird place like I had I had had a really bad season before and I knew that I had to like lay everything out on the line and like this was my time right this was my time to like get it 
<laughs> so I really focused on it and like I don't think I've ever worked so hard on anything than that first um that full moon video part and so, then so working, video part hard you, working hard for you means like going and studying the lines or like or you're getting your body fit getting your head fit like, all those things yeah all those things but mostly going out on every shitty day going out on every day and just trying stuff over and over and over and like go out there sit on your sled in a windstorm or a snowstorm and wait for it to get good wait for it to get good enough that you can go film yeah you know like leanne and i are the same in that capacity there were a lot of days when her and i were the only ones who would go out and we would just like chip away every day we just wanted it so freaking bad yeah <laughs> you know i think for her she really put herself out there by making the film yeah and she knew she was like this has got to be like groundbreaking i got to make this like it this has got to be like the women's film so yeah for her there yeah. was that and for me i had never won any awards and i really wanted that so <laughs> so that was like my uh my Perfect chance to mm. what's that perfect combination to get that movie going to where it had to go like yeah, yeah. and all of the girls were like working so hard like i rode so much with hana and with uh helen scatini who's also a really good friend and amazing snowboarder yeah um and you know we we kind of split in our crews when we had a full crew we it was like annie marie and leanne ride really well together and then like hana Helen and I would ride really well together and we kind of would do that um and then we'd have different trips that we would go on and but yeah. it was great it was like such a cool experience and when I think about when you say like who's your girl gang like that movie that's my girl gang, that's your girl gang. love it yeah love it we're gonna yeah. go now with my kids <laughs> nice <laughs> oh. and what about little birdie tells us that you've got your own production coming up fabric yeah so tell us about um, that yeah that was um so fabric is uh, a five-part web series and a full feature film in surf skate and snow oh, awesome. uh, and it's not necessarily <clears throat> like an action uh action movie it's an action documentary so it's about where um pursuit and purpose meet in between so it's basically documenting um, some of action sports, the leaders in surf, skate, and snow, and what they do aside from just their sport. So whether it's activism or education or building community or um, being an advocate for cultural heritage or being a mother, um, it's kind of themes based on that. And that's basically what we're setting out to do is to make a really good action documentary. So there will be high level action like you see in Full Moon or Death Reception or I don't know, Proximity or whatever. We're, we're aiming for that. But at the same time, that's not what it's about. Um, so, so we started filming uh, in December with Paige Elms in Hawaii, in Maui. Nice. Um, and so we had a couple days at Jaws with her, which was really great. We got oh, wow. some great clips. And um, we did a couple days with Leah Dawson and Sonoa Olin, who's from Vancouver Island, young surfer. 
And um, Leanne, myself, and Marie have been filming all this year. And our shoots that were coming up with Maine Kinimaka and Leanne Curran and um, the whole Skate Like a Girl crew, those have been canceled. So, yeah. They'll be back. They'll be back. This is great, actually, because we, we basically hit the ground running. And we had a lot of momentum and a lot of support and we were really excited. Everything was kind of just coming together as this Corona kind of like exploded. Um, And so it's been a really, there's been a lot of like tough emails um, with a lot of funding that's been kind of pulled from the project, which is understandable. Um, And I think this is a a really good opportunity for us to hit the reset button and really organize our strategy for filming and for production to make this really streamlined and have a really clear creative direction for it. Um, And it's just, it's fine. You know, like everything happens for a reason and it's been um, challenging to stay at home while you have a project that you put your butt on the line for um and everybody's losing money on everything and so it's just kind of like we're gonna adapt and we're gonna step sideways and keep moving forward but in a different way so it's a good opportunity to just recalibrate for the project and move into it into year two that's true, isn't it? I mean, Tanil and I have been talking about that last couple of weeks, so it's every, everybody really, and we're just saying about the stages of grief, you know, the denial mm-hmm. and then kind of the depression about it. And then it's like, if you can, you know, accepting it and like everybody, you know, get off your knees now, stand up and see what you can do during this time, make the most of it. I think Yeah, totally. Acceptance is huge. Like, so, like... So once you accept it, you can go, okay, there's nothing I can do about that. How do we go this way now? How do we focus? And yeah. go away? Which is what you've got to do. I mean, you've got obviously a bit of money, on, like a lot of money in the line, but, and you dream more importantly, probably on the line. But yeah, but I'm sure like I'm talking to you, I know that you're going to come back bigger and better and it will be, it'll probably be better. It'll be more structured. It'll be better. Yeah. It'll exactly. be better. Yeah. This yeah. is like really like, it's not, I, I mean, I can't say, that I'm not sad that you know we're not doing all these like amazing shoots with all these amazing athletes but it's a really good opportunity to kind of like you know think about what you really need like what do you need to like get this message across like how can you be more directed towards that and how do you get creative in getting what you need without spending tons of money so um I think in general, you know, it's got a really good message. We really want to promote stewardship and advocacy for each other, for like, you know, the places we live, you know, the natural world, um, yeah. like building community. And then also just about, you know, going out there and like kind of being a good human, so, you know, con- contribution. So yeah, which is, I think the world's going to join you on that. I don't think you're going to have to sell it too much after this kind of reset. I think, yeah. I think before if people weren't thinking about that and now it's like, it's going to be the right time to go, here we go. This is how we do it. You'll give them tools and you'll let them see. And 
I think that's brilliant. I, I don't know, but my take on the name fabric, is it based on fabric of society? Is it like, is it? It is. It, we, I mean, it's kind of a funny name and we don't, we don't necessarily like love it, but it makes the most sense. You know, it's about the common thread that really connects everybody to each other and to our natural world. Mm. So when we talk about, you know, there's this whole thing about Gaia theory and this web that really everything is connected. Mm-hmm. And that's what this is about. This is about being connected to whatever your heart, you know, your heart's saying, whether it's being an advocate for the environment and showing how you are connected to the natural world and how like everything that we do hangs in a very intricate, intricate balance. You know, like we yeah. take away the salmon, you starve the bears and the orcas and it's just, and the forest, you know, and th- these are the things that create oxygen and clean water for us you know and it's like every single little part of that puzzle matters and, and I, like the, I, I like the um yes. the sort of the interpretation as well of fabric being that the more successful you are in achieving your dreams the more responsibility you have to finding something that you really care about as well as your own dreams whether that like you say it's the environment or community or how are you mm-hmm. going to use that success that you've yeah. created for I how are you going to give back? That paying it forward, it's quite a mm-hmm. big responsibility, really. Yeah, and I think, like, at some points, like, as humans, and I can speak only for myself, really, but, you know, in the beginning of my pursuit in action sports, it was all about me. It was all about me getting awards. It was all about me getting a video part. And where's my shot? And You know, like when you get to a point where you're like ticking off all of those personal boxes and then you kind of look and go like, oh my gosh, what have I been doing this whole time? Like what really matters? What does, does me making a video part matter? No, it doesn't. (laughs) I think I say that like more than I should, but I say your video part doesn't matter. It just doesn't, you know, like what matters is being a mentor to somebody who wants to get out in the backcountry, help them, yeah. help that person. It's not about you and your goals and dreams. It's about a collective voice, whether it's, you know, being a mentor or creating community or creating opportunity or being an advocate for something good, like the environment. And, you know? and it's so true because, you know, you think like... You, Maybe some people think, oh, the ski industry, the snowboarding industry is kind of frivolous and costs money and it's just all about holidays or whatever. Absolutely, it is not. It is about, this is our environment. More than anything, anyone who goes out in the snow knows that it hasn't snowed well this season, uh, what animals are endangered or extinct in that area. It's really, we've got an episode coming up about renewable energy and things that the mm-hmm. snow industry are doing and I can't believe how much the snow industry are doing because it's right there in everybody's face. Yeah, yep. Yeah. There are some there was the first season of filming with Full Moon, we we literally had no snow, none, not enough to film and we actually had to travel across the globe to chase it. And that's never really happened to us before. You know, we see like climate change at the very we're on the front lines of that we see it we see the glaciers receding we see wildlife dissipating 
Um, and same with surfing. You see the oceans, like, no fish. Yeah. You know, in some areas, there are no fish. And, yeah. like, species are dying off. And you're like, it's the, and I know that um, there is a luxury attached to skiing and surfing. Maybe not necessarily skateboarding as much, but still, you have to be able to afford that. And I think, I think it is important to remember that we have the privilege of doing those things and connecting with the natural world in that way to be able to see it and then talk about it. Yep. But not everybody has that ability. And I think what's important for me at least, and I know for a lot of the people that I am associated with in action sports, surfing, skating, and snowboarding, is making sure that those people who aren't attached to the natural world and who don't know that this is happening, that we can use our voices to say like, hey, like this is, this is actually happening. Yeah. And I think more than anything, the best way to educate people on what's happening is to get them outside, you know? And if we can help people get into the outdoors and get, help them fall in love with it, then yeah. we have more people on that team. Who want to save it. More people who yeah. want to save it. Yeah. It's, it's so true. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Oh, it's exciting. So, I can't wait to see this project come to fruition. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. yeah, I think that, like, that's a, that's a really, like, um, something that's, like, really important to me is really using my voice and my ability to use my voice to help more people get outside. Because to me, that is, like, the number one way. I mean, you can give people stats all day. Yeah. Until they are absolutely in love with the environment, they'll never do anything. And in Ode to Mirror, Jeremy Jones said this um, very clearly. I'm not going to quote him, but um, they were talking about uh, the uh, governors and the presidents and people who were working in the House of Commons. In my, I think it's the House of Commons in the yeah. States. But anyway, all the politicians would retreat, do a fishing retreat in the mountains or like go to a lake and they would go retreat somewhere to talk about politics and they would go fishing and they would do those kinds of things together. Right. He sat down with a politician and asked him like, Hey, do you get outside? And he's like, yeah, I go for dog walks with my wife, you know, but like really when you don't have, and you know, like John Muir and that whole um, era of yeah. politicians that like, created a lot of they have a legacy around conservation and early very early environmentalism i mean they really set the stage but now we have this like full disconnection from the natural world and how can you fight for something you know nothing about it's true or you don't enjoy yeah they're sitting they're sitting up they're making the decisions and all they're doing is going for a dog walk doesn't quite make sense you know you've got to get out and you've got to Really you gotta get out. They're making decisions and, on behalf of us. So it's and that's what yeah. I love about this is the responsibility that we all have is you know, we're the yeah. ones getting out in the environment and and maybe yeah. maybe this corona reset will happen. We'll do that. It might it's just it's it's I know certainly my friends are talking about it a lot, but I'm like I've been living it in the mountains. I see it. We 
yeah. I know I breathe it. So it's good. It's opening up other people's minds to think differently because we're all Absolutely. having a here. We can't wait to get back out, you know? So yeah. And I think people are paying attention now. Yeah. People and like, basically I, th I think there's like two really good, like two, two things at play when it comes to the environment. I think one, it's a really good opportunity. I mean, we're seeing a lot of animals come out of the woodwork, like think like animals that were extinct are now reappearing. I saw whales breaching from the ferry that I've never seen before. Mm -hmm. Couldn't believe it. And it, it's like, it's almost like they're coming back out. It's like they were afraid of us and now they're kind of like, all right, well, everybody's like taking some time off. So we're going to go enjoy it yeah. <laughs> while they're not destroying it. But at the same time, and so that is great, you know, and like um, the uh, pollution has been cut by a huge amount because not traveling and people kind of like having a smaller footprint. So that is a huge bonus. But the other thing that I think is really important for people to pay attention to is we have a huge distraction right now. Yeah. This, uh, the coronavirus is at the very forefront of all the news. And I know in Canada, there were some bills passed that were environmentally damaging and they did it, you know, they did it without having too much media around it because we're so away. focused on something else. So I really think that it's important for us to remember that there's other news right now and that, you know, with the coronavirus, we will get through it. And I think it is healthy to check in on it every day and do what you can, but also make sure you're seeking out the other news. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Because the world is still turning and things are still happening and it's important for us to not let things like slip behind our backs. It is true. Our parliament just wanted to not meet. They wanted to call cancellation and we're in Australia and we're mm. like, no, you can't because we've still got other decisions that have to be made on the mining, yeah. on the gas, on the, all those other things that are affecting our country. So it was interesting. I hope, yeah. they, I hope they don't stop parliament because of this virus. Yeah. But who knows but you're right there is other news and it's exciting so yeah so if when you're sitting up there in your little uh well not little in your house in your eco-friendly container house <laughs> it's little it's little <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um do you what it, it would be hard to not get self absorbed with everything like that how do you keep your mind kind of functioning on your on your venture and on your when everything's stopped like do you um Actually, I kind of have myself taken the time to stop. Yeah. 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 I, t like, pr on a personality level, I'm very much, like, going all the time. Yeah. Go, 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 go. Like, every day I've got something to do, you know. Um, and it's been really nice to wake up and have nothing on the schedule for a second. Yeah. And everything is paused. And it's a, like, I think about it, like, what a great opportunity. Mm -hmm. You know, this is awful for the planet and we are all going to, you know, yeah. you're working on that heli trip with the of podcast. Course. Yeah. And uh, I have a feeling that this Alaska heli trip is going to happen. It's going oh, to yeah. It will. It's going and, to And hopefully I can be your guide. <laughs> we'll be standing at the top going, damn you, Robin. <laughs>
<laughs> I'm feeling intense fear. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Loving the Snow Life with Emma and Tennille. If you've learned a handy tip or two, then happy days. To catch all our episodes, subscribe on iTunes. It's free. Head over to www.lovingthesnowlife.com.au for more info and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Loving the Snow Life. If you have any suggestions for topics or guests, then email us on our website. Thanks to everyone who leaves a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to share our episodes on your social media.